to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols, just like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Tony. Morning, everyone. Morning, Morning to those who are at home. Uh, Tony, while it's true that this hard copy does not need power, but it does need opening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can be together. We thank you again for your word. It's a great gift to us, for us to be able to navigate our lives under your rulership in this fallen world. Lord, out of this story and out of this passage, again, we look to you for you to speak to us, to enlighten us, show us something new, remind us of something old, but in all things to shape our lives that we might be pleasing to you. We ask and pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everyone said, God is watching you. <clears throat> That's my heading for this passage. That's one of the key lessons, I think, that comes out of it. There is a little bit of a backstory to it, so I want to take a few minutes just to give you that story, the first part of this chapter, the first 16 verses. It's a chapter and a half since we've spoken about Elijah in the book of Kings. <clears throat> it was back in chapter 19. And all through chapter 20, there's stuff about Ahab, but nothing about Elijah. And so too, through the first half of chapter 21, it's all there's stuff about Ahab, but not about Elijah. And then Elijah gets the call in verse 17 to again go and speak to this man. One of the, well, in fact, the worst king in Israel up to this point. Ahab, it's probably the summertime, is up in Jezreel. He's the king of Samaria, but Samaria is also the name of a city. And that's the main city. That's where he's built a palace, an ivory palace. 
And up north he has a summer palace, which is where Queen Jezebel probably stayed, and his other wives may very well have stayed in the city of Samaria. So he's in Jezreel, and one day when he looks out the windows, or he's walking around the palace grounds of his summer palace, next door to him he sees this beautiful piece of land. It's a vineyard. It's owned by a man by the name of Naboth. And it's a high-quality vineyard. It's good quality. And something entered Ahab's heart that he just wanted to have it. Things are in recovery since the prophets of Baal uh, had been executed. Some of them are now back and the land has got this mixture of both Baal and following the Lord going on. um, Ahab reminds us that the wealthy are not satisfied with their possessions. It's a warning for us consistently all through the scriptures that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Well... Ahab sees this block of land and he goes to Naboth, the owner, (coughs) and offers him either money, I'll buy it, or an exchange. I'll give you another vineyard, a better quality vineyard even than this one. To which Naboth says, the Lord forbid that I sell you my inheritance, my land. In fact, God's instructions were that the land that I have given you is to remain in your family line. You are not to sell it or give it away. It's to be your inheritance. Ahab is basically saying, Naboth, I want you to break the law because I really want this block of land. Naboth, of course, refuses. And Ahab, being the rather weak man that he is, the weak individual, goes home sulking. Now, fellas, sometimes sulking can be a very effective strategy in our marriages, but usually it isn't. He lies on his bed, refuses to eat, he faces the wall, he's not talking to anybody, he's not eating anything, he's sulking. He wants his own way. Jezebel comes in and says, what's the matter with you? Ahab leaves out any mention of God or the obligations that Naboth had and simply said, Naboth won't give me his land. And Jezebel rebukes him, aren't you the king? Be the king. Oh, I don't feel like being the king. So she takes care of it. As he probably knew that she would. So he could be manipulating her. He's certainly behind this. Gives her, either it's a ring, because it's a, a seal that goes on the letters that the king sends out, or it's one of those handheld ones. Gives her the seal. She writes a letter, forges it in his name. It's her writing it, but she says it's from the king and invites all of the nobles and the elders around the place where Naboth lives. And Naboth is given the seat, the prominent seat, right at the head of the table. But she's also arranged for two criminals, two liars, to come and sit right beside him. And under arrangement, they are to, during the course of the meal, to lie, to declare that I heard Naboth blaspheme God and the king. The other one, the second witness, testifies to the same event. And then Jezebel basically says, well, you've heard the witness testimony of two witnesses. They take him out and they stone him. They execute him. It's all fabricated. But here is an innocent man who loses his life. Before we move on and get into our passage for this morning, it's worth asking the question or pausing and thinking about it. Where is God in these times? Because it's not a new question. It's a perennial issue. We live in this fallen, broken world that people are allowed to do the wrong thing. And they even, they get away with it and sometimes they succeed and prosper in it. 
And you might very well know some of this. Where is the God of justice? Where is God when things like this happen? It's occurred all the way throughout human history. Why? Well, several reasons. One, because the whole world lies under the influence, the control of the evil one, and he only intends to steal, kill and destroy. That certainly, he is behind it. There is this ongoing conflict between good and evil in this fallen world. God allows it because it's a severe test of our faith, really does grow us and cause us to rely on him. And the bottom line is we do not fully understand how God governs the world. We need to be patient. We don't know why God allows it, but he does allow it. We don't understand, but everything God allows or God does, he has a reason for it. But he hasn't chosen to give us that reason. God is patient, but he's not infinitely patient. God's patience does come to an end, as it does in this story, uh, that God eventually says to somebody, enough. I've tried and tried and tried. I've been calling you and calling you and calling you and you've refused to come. Enough. It ends here. That's certainly the case here. And while for us and for many of us, maybe even this morning, this story is um, more academic than it is personal, But this question or issue, while it may disturb us, it really grabs a sharp focus when it involves us or touches us. When the unjust thing happens to us, then we really do feel we want to cry out, where are you, Lord? What's going on? And I'm sure Naboth and his family would have been asking the same. The thing I forgot to tell you, in fact, the author doesn't tell us here in chapter 21, but he does tell us in 2 Kings chapter 9, But when they killed Naboth, he had sons, so they would have inherited the land. So they killed them as well. They killed Naboth and all of his sons and all the inheritance. And so there was left that went back to the state, went back therefore to Ahab. That's how they figured it out. Roger and I were talking about some of these sorts of things during the week as we were driving around in different places. And I made the very insightful and brilliant comment to her that the whole world is filled with complex, complicated and broken people, including us. We don't know how sinful we are. We have an idea, but there's a depth to our brokenness that we, I think, are generally ignorant of and God in his grace still continues to work with us. And it was Shakespeare, I think, who makes the comment that I always think of when I'm talking about these sorts of things. That you look at the world and the whole world is queer. It's filled with weird people. If only people were just like me and Rhonda, wouldn't the world be a better place? And as Shakespeare says, the whole world is weird except me and thee. But even thou are a little strange. It's all about me. It's from our self-perspective. Well, the Bible certainly also teaches us this, that where is God at these times? Well, he's watching. He's noting. He's not ignoring it. We wish he would step in quicker, but he has a reason. He is the sovereign God of the universe who rules and governs all. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He's watching you. He's watching your neighbours. He's watching the people who are mistreating you. He's watching, keeping record. 
book of Revelation, in fact, says that he's taken notes. Books will be opened. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 says, Who, God says, who can hide in the secret places that I can't see them? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? You can't run, you can't hide. God is fully aware of what's going on. Well, let's jump into our story. That's the background to it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Uh, Ahab has gotten up, he's gone out of the palace, he's now gone into the vineyard. When he gets into the vineyard, then God speaks to Elijah and says to him, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard and he has gone to take possession of it. You see, God knows where Ahab is and he knows why he's there. He knows what Ahab has done and he knows what he's doing. He's in the vineyard, he's walking around, he's plotting it out, he's imagining pumpkins will go here, melons will go over there, beans will be over in the back corner. He's walking it out and he's working it out and he's promising himself all sorts of pleasures as he's going to enjoy his garden. Up until this point, if you go back into chapter 20 and in fact into 22, you'll find that God is continually knocking on the door of Ahab's heart. There is a prophet who comes and warns him. There is a battle and God delivers him. And then even after the victory, God sends another prophet to say, in 12 months those enemies will be back from Syria, but I will defend you. God had been present and knocking on Ahab's door of his life, on his heart, and Ahab up until this point pretty much has been ignoring all that God has been saying and doing. This is God speaking to Elijah. When you get there, God says, I want you to tell him five things. Number one, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man to seize his property? The supreme governor of the universe sees all, knows exactly what's going on. Ahab hasn't gotten away with it. If there's no justice in this world, there will be in the next. But sometimes there is in this world. And Ahab didn't have a leg to stand on. You know, he couldn't plead, I didn't do it, she did it that sort of thing because he was behind it all as well and the Lord says to him secondly say to Ahab this is what the Lord says in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood dogs will lick up your blood yes even you you're going to die Ahab I've had enough your life is going to come to an end and just like dogs you murdered Naboth and dogs licked up his blood so when you die dogs will lick up your blood um, basically God is saying Ahab you've done the wrong thing and you did it for your own personal gain and as you have done it will be done to you God outlining the course of justice in this world for this man and for Naboth's family Ahab at this point interrupts Elijah and says so you have found me my enemy before Ahab has a chance to eat the first grape or plant the first veggie the last person he would wanted to see would have been Elijah. Can you imagine what Ahab's face must have been like? Just sheer shock. Hasn't seen him for months, maybe even longer. And suddenly Elijah is there in the vineyard where he, with a guilty conscience, is fully aware of everything that has gone on. So you have found me, my enemy. You've tracked me down. Back in chapter 18, he calls Elijah, you troubler of Israel, you disturber of the peace. And now he calls him my enemy. This is the prophet of God. If God's prophet was Ahab's enemy, 
It's only because Ahab has not made God his master. Elijah is not his enemy. Elijah was there sent by God in order to reach out to Ahab in order to redeem and to save and to change his ways. But just as Ahab's opposed to that, he's not interested, so that's how many people will see us as followers of the Lord Jesus as well. As well, They'll see us as their enemy, as um, troublemakers or self-righteous or however they want to do it. Elijah goes on to say to him, so you have found me? Yes, I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. You weren't taken captive against your will. You deliberately, wholly and agreeably sold yourself to do this, these wicked things that have been going on. As one commentator said, it means that he habitually, constantly is involved in trafficking wickedness, evil. Whatever is opposed to what God's standards were, that's what he's doing. You sold yourself, you've married yourself to evil, to wickedness. You've embraced it. You've become a partner with it. And God saw it all. So God says to him, number three, this is a light, God speaking through Elijah. Number three, I'm going to bring disaster on you. Just as you've been going around doing evil, so now I'm going to bring, same Hebrew word, I'm going to bring evil on you, meaning disaster. I will wipe out your entire family, your descendants, and I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel. What you did to Naboth is going to happen to you. Every last male. There will be no ongoing family lineage for this wicked man, Ahab. He's been caught red-handed. He's got his hand in the cookie jar. Life is filled with choices and consequences. And sometimes our life has consequences by other people's choices. It's part of the world that we live in. God expands that, verse 22. I'll make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and you have caused Israel to sin. Jeroboam and Baasha are two previous kings of Israel. And if you read them in chapter 15 and 16 before... Ahab, it's, their houses are entirely wiped out as well. And God is saying, you've totally ignored what I've been doing, my judgment. You're, ju you're defying it. You think you can get away with it. Well, you can't. Verse 23. Number four. And concerning Jezebel, that wicked woman that you married, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs are going to lick up his blood. Dogs are going to eat her. And if you have the stomach for it, you can jump over to 2 Kings chapter 9 and you can read the story of how she gets thrown out of the upstairs room and she lands on the bottom and they go inside and they're filling in the paperwork and everything else and when they come out and says, go and get her and bury her by the time they come out, prepare yourself for this, they find her head and her hands and all the rest is gone. It's a revolting story but it's a revolting end to a revolting woman. She was incredibly wicked. God says, she'll outlive you, but her end will come. And then God says, finally, and dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city. 
and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. Whether your descendants are in the city or whether they're in the country, wherever they are, they will die. In the city, the dogs will eat them. In, this, in the country, the birds will get them. I'm going to use my creation to bring about my judgments in this world. Your days are numbered. Now, this is not what God says to Ahab. This is the author of Kings. This is his comment about Ahab. He said, there never was anyone uh, like Ahab up to this point. There are some other baddies coming, Manasseh and so on, who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols. Like the Amorites, whom the Lord drove out before Israel. The author of Kings is trying to describe how wicked and bad Ahab has been and the Amorites were the people who were in the land before Israel got there. It's the Amorites that God says to Abraham, they have 400 years before I wipe them out. God patiently giving people time to repent and change, but the Amorites were the wicked Canaanites whom God removed. Ahab reversed history. He went back to behave exactly like they did. He was a bad, bad dude. When Ahab heard these words, that Elijah has spoken to him, these five things, Dogs are going to lick up your blood. All of your sons are going to perish. Your wife is going to be eaten by dogs and there's nothing left. Whether they die in the city or the country, your days are numbered. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and he fasted. And he went around meekly. What is going on here? Has Ahab finally tuned in and listened to the Lord? Has he really repented? God says to Elijah, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it. I'll bring it on his house in the days of his son. Ahab tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, fasted lay in sackcloth, went around meekly. Did he repent? Was he forgiven? Well, that's a good question. It's one of the discussion groups. I think the answer is, I don't know. I suspect he didn't. I think he's going through the outward show. And I think if you read the words very carefully and you notice what's absent, he was certainly finally deeply impacted by God's word to him. It's the worst of the kings of Israel to this point, brought to their knees by the word of God. But he doesn't remove Jezebel. He doesn't restore the worship of the Lord. He doesn't cry out for mercy. He goes through the outward show of ripping his clothes and fasting, going without food and walking around humbly and softly and quietly. I think Ahab humbled himself before the Lord, not because of the burden of his sins. He didn't ask God for forgiveness, but he faced the terror of his own coming death. It scared him. So he received clemency, not forgiveness. You might want to think about that, talk about it amongst yourselves. God's response is, God does respond to his response which is worth noting, but that's what God does. Not everything in our world is fixed and ordered and ordained. 
God is in control. I don't know how he does it, but he's a sovereign God over the universe, achieves his will. And somehow we have freedom and choices and responsibility in the midst of this and our choices are very real choices and God responds to our choices and he does here because he has humbled himself. I'm not going to do it now in his time, it's delayed. Why is it delayed? Because he humbled himself. It was a visible public humbling that he did before others and God likewise responds. God responds to our response and God is always eager eager to show mercy. I wonder what would have happened if Ahab had truly repented. What would have been different? Well, we're not told. We can only conjecture. That's the book of Joel, chapter 2. He says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Ahab is doing the outward, not the inward. There are questions available and uh, I put a fair bit of time into that with verses associated with it. So grab a copy of the questions if you haven't got them already, even just for yourself or for talking amongst yourselves or for your groups, whichever, to make you help. What are the lessons that we get from this passage? Well, I get quite a few. Number one. God prefers vineyards to vegetable gardens. I think that's a, a, a conclusion that you could derive. Number two, we are reminded that we should pray for kings and for those in authority over us because they have temptations beyond you and me. They're tempted to please themselves and they have the ability to be able to do so. They can make choices to pander themselves and not please God and not serve us. So pray for them that God will give them wisdom. There's a new, I don't know if there's a new Prime Minister yet, but the Prime Minister in the UK is gone, isn't she? 44 days. God raises up and God removes. And I don't know the story at all of what's going on there. But as some wag sent us a text and said, uh, there's only two more Prime Ministers till Christmas. <laughs> this passage teaches us, be sure your sin will find you out. See, sometimes God exposes it, other times he doesn't. He works his purposes out and we don't fully understand why, but the scriptures do say, you can't hide. Another lesson, we are incapable of determining why God permits what he does and he allows this and that. <clears throat> does it this time, but not that time. In Acts chapter 12, there's a strange story where two apostles were arrested, James and Peter. They'd spent three years walking with the Lord Jesus. Herod arrests them, kills James. So he's been an apostle for months and is now dead. Peter is in prison and the church gathers together to pray for him. And God delivers him, lets him out. Why did God let James die and deliver Peter? Don't know. But he does. Another lesson is we shouldn't expect a smooth and easy life in this life. There may be seasons of it and certainly enjoy them when everything is right and when all is well. But be alert that this is a fallen, broken world and that there is an evil one who loves to instill conflict and harm. There is an end to God's patience. God does wait very patiently. 
But he also comes to the point where he says, enough. Your life is now finished. I know of two instances in my ministry where God has done that. Where God has seemed to enough. And he takes them home. It's what he did with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's what he does with Ahab here. It's what he did with Herod Agrippa, again in the book of Acts. There is an end to God's patience. Don't presume upon it. Don't waste your life. This passage teaches us that God keeps his word. Even though he responds to our response, he still does what he said he was going to do. He still judges Ahab and he still judges his family. There's just a delay in what Ahab experiences. All of this reminds us, the book of Kings keeps pointing us forward that we need a new king. We need a good king. We need a king who is going to rule over us, who's going to be righteous and who is going to glorify God and who is going to serve the people. Jesus is that king. We need him to be our king. And one day he will come and he will set up his kingdom in this, on a new heaven and a new earth. And I guess finally I would want to say this passage all reminds me that as God was continually knocking on the door of Ahab's life, never give up on those you've been praying for, desiring to come to know him and they haven't responded yet. They've been in fact quite resistant. We had a family in our church with a husband after years and years and years and years and years and years of resistance comes to faith in the last week of his life. Happened this year. Many of you know that story. Don't give up. Continue to look to God and to hope in him that he'll work his purposes out. And I guess finally this, there's a way back to God for all of us. That hymn, song, poem, there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a way that is open. You can go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. That's all Ahab had to do. Humble himself and say, Lord, forgive me. All he did was humble himself and didn't turn to God. And so he received the judgment that was his. Let's learn the lessons that we have from this story. Let's think about them. Let's pray and respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we acknowledge that you, with the eternal Son and the eternal Spirit, rule on high. You together are the sovereign triune God. You have your way, ultimately, Lord, and we ask, therefore, that you might have your will and your way in each of our lives today, in our families, in our jobs, in our relationships. Help us, like Elijah, to serve you, to deliver your message to those you direct us to or that you give us the opportunity to speak with. Sovereign Father, work out your purposes in each of our lives, we pray. And we ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, let's stand together. Drive safe, won't you? There's a lot of water around.
let's pray. Let me give you the benediction and encourage you to grab some of those questions and talk to one another. Let's pray. Lord, we stand at the end of this service, committing ourselves into your powerful hands. You are a God of grace and mercy and judgment. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Forgive us for our sins. Go before us in the days of this week and use us to serve you in all of the divine appointments that you allocate to us. May God bless you and keep you in Jesus. Amen. God bless everybody. Please be seated. And you? I believe you're preaching that R-rated sort of stuff. Dogs chewing women up. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? It's pretty brutal, isn't it? Well, yeah. When you read it, that's... Yeah, no, no.